0: A long time ago. In a galaxy far, far, away. Star Wars. Lost Tribe of the Sith. Number 3. Paragon. By John Jackson Miller. Read by Decade Bird Publishing. Chapter 1. 4,985 BBY. The water was as warm as it was every day, streaming from the marble slot high on the wall down onto Sila's body. There had been no refresher, no modern conveniences for the Sith stranded on Keshe for fifteen standard years. But they had learned to live with what they had. The glistening droplets of meltwater clinging to her brown skin had come from a glacier half a continent away. Kashiri Yuvak flyers, their beasts laden with massive kegs, had ferried the water from that faraway place to the Sith's mountain retreat. Rooftop attendants heated the water to her exact specifications, channeling it through a system thoroughly cleansed daily for mildew and other pollutants. Below, Sela meticulously raked at her wrist with pumice brought from the foot of the Sesal spire, kilometers away. Kashiri artists had crafted the stones into pleasing shapes for her. The natives were more interested in appearance than function, but, in this, they had an ally. Sila looked with her usual disdain at the stall, constructed for her personal use by her Sith brethren immediately after she'd moved into Commander Corsin's chambers. The place was more a temple than a home. Well, she couldn't have everything. Not here. Fifteen years. That's what it was by the Kashiri calendar, too, although who could trust that? She stepped dripping from the shower, wondering where the time had gone. Not to her body, she saw in the colossal mirror, working glass was another thing the kashiri were good at. Twice a mother and living on food suited for farm animals back home, and yet Sela looked as fit as she ever had. It had taken work. But time was one thing she'd had. I know you're here, Tilden, Sela said. Carr, her keshiri attendant, always stayed out of sight from the mirror, never remembering she could sense him through the force. Now he stood by the doorway, averting his large opal eyes and presenting a robe in his shaking hands. Fifteen years hasn't changed him, either, Sela thought with a silent chortle as she snatched the robe. But why shouldn't he look? All that drab purple skin, to call it lavender was flattery. And white hair. The color of age and uselessness. If Kashiri had found other Kashiri beautiful before, it was only because they hadn't yet seen the Sith. And besides, it was Tilden's job to worship her. One of the younger high priests of the Kashiri faith, which recognized Sila and her fellow Sith as ancient deities from the heavens, Tilden lived to follow her everywhere. She rather enjoyed torturing him like this in the mornings. She was the sacrilege that started his day.
1: Your son is hunting with the riders until tonight, he said. Your daughter is in with the educators your people sent.
0: Fine, fine, she said, discarding the gown he'd set out in favor of a brighter one. Get to something important.
1: Milady is expected in the ward this afternoon for the reviewing,
0: he said, looking up from his parchment. Finding her fully dressed and standing before the great window, he smiled gently.
1: Otherwise. You are at your leisure. And the Grand Lord. His Eminence, our Savior from above, has begun his meetings with his advisors. The usual people, born on high like Milady. His giant friend is there, too.
0: He looked down at his notes.
1: Oh, and the Crimson Man has asked for an audience.
0: Crimson Man? Silo's gaze remained on the foaming ocean far below. Ravilan.
1: Yes, Milady.
0: Then I should go." Sela stretched mightily before turning abruptly to search for her shoes. Tilden had them. They were the only articles of clothing rescued from the crash of Omen that she continued to use. The keshiri still hadn't figured out decent footwear.
1: I, I didn't mean to turn this into a working day so early.
0: Tilden stammered, fastening her shoes.
1: Forgive me. Were you finished bathing? I could have the minders recycle the water.
0: Relax, Tilden, I want to go out, she said, pinning back her dark hair with a sculpted bone clip, a gift from some local noble she couldn't remember. She paused in the polished doorway. But have the team step up the water deliveries, and have them bring it in from the far side of the mountain range. It's better for the skin from over there. Sela yawned. It wasn't even high sun and the daily pantomime was already well underway. Commander Yaru Korsin, the Kashiri's saviour from above, sat in his old bridge chair, listening just as he used to on the command deck of Omen. But now the shattered wreck of the vessel lay behind him, sheltered in a part of the sturdy structure not used for habitation, and his battered chair was incongruously plopped in the middle of a marbled colonnade, stretching out hundreds of metres. Here, high in the open air of the Tokora Mountains, recently renamed for his precious mother, wherever in blazes she was, Corsin held court. The architecture and location made for a good show for the Kishiri townsfolk who occasionally flew up here. That was according to design. But it was also big enough to accommodate every foolish supplicant that Corsin wanted to cram into his day. Sela saw Gloyd the Gunner. Corsin's giant friend, at the front of the line as usual. The lumpy-headed Hauk's jowls quaked as he presented his latest crazed idea, using one of the surviving Boring lasers that still had a charge to fire signals into space. Boring seemed the right word to Seela, and Corsin didn't appear enthralled, either. How long must Gloyd have been prattling before she arrived?
2: It'll work this time,
0: Gloyd said, mottled skin sweating.
2: All we've got to do is get the attention of a passing freighter, an observatory, anything.
0: He wiped his forehead. Sela never thought the genetic lottery had been kind to Hauk's to begin with. But now it looked as if age and sun were causing Gloyd's hide to melt from his skull.
2: The intensity will dissipate to the inverse of the square of the distance from Kesh.
0: Came a human voice from behind Corsin. Para, Omen's relief navigator and now their main science advisor, stepped forward.
2: It'd be just more cosmic background noise. Didn't they teach you anything where you came from?
0: Probably not, Seela mused. Gloyd had been a castaway even before he joined the Omen crew. While other outsiders avoided the Stygian caldera, Gloyd's team of brigands had figured something truly amazing must be there. There was, the Sith Empire. Few of Gloyd's companions had survived the discovery. But as gunner and foot soldier, he'd done combat with Jedi plenty of times in his earlier life, making him useful to Noga Sado and, later, to Yaru Korsin. But lately, not so much.
3: I don't think it's going to work, old friend.
0: Corsin said, spying Sela out of the corner of his eye and winking.
3: And we just can't run the risk of burning out any more equipment. You know the score.
0: They all did. Even as they built their stone shelter for Omen in the months after the crash, the crew had steadily brought out equipment. Some of it they expected to restore to life with a few fabricated parts, the rest was immediately usable. And used. That had been a mistake. It turned out there wasn't any metal to be found on Kesh. The Sith had ripped and clawed at the surface expending most of their surviving munitions to no avail. Above, Kesh was pleasing to the eye, but below, it appeared to be little more than a dirtball. Much equipment running on internal power sputtered and died. Worse, something in Kesh's electromagnetic field was playing hob with everything from radio waves to electrical generation. The lightsabers still worked, thank the lignin crystals for that, but the castaways, intrepid as they weren't cannibalizing, weren't going to be able to reinvent everything. The tools simply weren't here. I get that. Gloyd said, seeming not so tall as before. You know me.
2: I'm built for battle. This peaceful paradise is getting to me.
0: I know something you can do battle with, Sila said, her caftan shimmering as she stepped up and put her arm around Corsin. I think I saw them preparing lunch back in the main hall. Corsin smiled. Gloyd glared at the couple for a moment before letting loose with a churning laugh. What can I say? He said, patting his paunch and turning. The lady knows me. Corsin looked past the retreating Hulk to see another figure.
3: Ravelin. What's your next grand plan to get us off this rock? Nothing along those lines,
0: Ravelin said. The Crimson Man of Tilden's description stepped forward and regarded his leader civilly.
2: Not today. Really? Well, we're all getting older. The mind forgets. Not this one, Commander.
0: Ravelin ran his finger along his right cheek tendril, an expression of thoughtfulness among the Red Sith. It made Celo's skin crawl. She gripped Corson tighter. One time quartermaster for Omen's complement of Masasi warriors, Ravelin had been left without a mission after his charges died during their first days on Kesh. Since then, he'd held a sequence of odd jobs. More importantly, he'd become the spokesbeing for the 57, the surviving crew members whose bloodlines to the redskin Sith species ran truest, and for those who, like Gloyd, were less interested in living on Kesh than leaving it. But Ravelin's lot had grown increasingly bleak. His people had a numbered 57 since their arrival. A dozen had fallen due to accident or professional incompetence, and none of the children of Ravelin's people had lived a day. Kesh had not been kind in equal measure to all its guests. As motives for wanting to leave went, his were fairly strong. But they did not bring him before Corsin today, apparently.
2: There's something else.
0: Ravelin said, eyeing Sila.
2: People in the service of your your wife have been trying to document the ancestries of all our crew. They have grown quite insistent.
0: He added, cocking an eyebrow stalk. Feeling Sila's grip tighten further, Corsin rose.
3: Your people don't have to worry about that, Rav. Human crew only.
2: Yes, but many of us have at least some human blood.
0: Ravelin said, walking along the colonnade with Corsin. The crowd parted, Seela walked gingerly behind.
2: And many of your people have some of ours. The merger of the Dark Jedi line with that of my Sith forebears is an article of pride to my, to our people, Corsin. To have someone picking it apart.
0: Corsin continued walking, enjoying the view of the ocean, strands of silver in his hair glistened in the sun. Seela stepped up her pace to get closer.
3: It's still a foreign planet. Corsin said, we don't know what killed your Masasi when we landed. We don't know what's been happening to, well, you know. I certainly do.
0: Ravelin said, looking out at the ocean without seeming to see it. His coloring had faded to a samba maroon hue in his time on Kesh, and his earrings and other Sithly ornamentation only served to make the man beneath look more drab.
2: This is a world driven by tragedy, Corsin. For all of us. If you'd accept one of my people in the creche as midwife, we might be better able to understand.
0: No. Sela said, interposing herself between the two. They're not medical personnel, Corsin. In conditions like these, we've got to have some controls. Ravilan shrank back.
2: It was not a slight, Sela. Your staff have done quite well since our mission turned generational in nature. The Sith thrive.
0: His face, wrinkled with age and worry, softened.
2: It should be so for all of the Sith.
0: Sela looked urgently at Corsin, who waved his hand dismissively. Dismissing us both. She wondered.
3: We'll talk about it later.
0: Corsin said.
3: Was there something else?
0: Ravilan paused.
2: Yes, I will be in the south, as you requested, visiting the towns of the Ragnos Lakes.
0: Sela knew the project. The Keshiri had been harvesting some kind of fluorescent algae, and Corsin had assigned Ravelin to check it out, for potential use in lighting the Sith structures.
2: There are eight villages on various bodies of water, all with different specimens to examine. That's a lot of territory.
0: Corsin said.
2: You alone? As you requested. I start in Texable, farthest away.
0: Sela smiled. It was just the sort of mindless job that would drive the quartermaster to madness.
3: Take your whole retinue,
0: Corsin said, slapping a firm hand on Ravelin's shoulder. Corsin had grown no more physically imposing during his exile, but he still walked like a mangloid size. It's
3: important, and it'll go faster if you split up, and you could all stand to get off this mountain for a few days.
0: He brought Ravelin closer and spoke into his sunken ear.
3: And, look, next time Sila would like you to call me Grand Lord. That's just a name for the Keshiri. And there are Keshiri here. It's an order, Rav. Safe flight.
0: Sela watched as Ravelin limped off. He'd lost an argument with a Nuvak in their second year here. It was one of a series of losses, and she wasn't about to let him win an argument now. She took Korsin aside. Don't you dare accept any of his people in my wards.
3: You're pretty when you're territorial.
0: Corsin. He looked at her with piercing eyes.
3: You're not living on relg anymore. How long before you let go of the past?
0: Sela let a smoldering look speak for her, but Corsin ignored it. Spotting something behind her, he grinned and turned to address the waiting crowd.
3: Sorry to cut this short, all of you. But I see my lunch companion has arrived.
0: Selah turned. A Dari Val waited at the edge of the plaza. Chapter 2. The Sith Empire of Selah youth was a nest of star systems linked by common heritage, ambition, and greed. It was also, in a sense, a black hole from which little escaped. The Stygian caldera's limiting effects on hyperspace travel were disproportionate, making it far easier for unlucky outsiders to wander into Sith space than for the Sith Lords to venture out. Those who found their way in seldom returned, becoming slaves to one princeling or another. The arrivals frequently changed hands over the generations, forgetting their homes completely. They, too, were of the Sith now. Some Sith Lords, such as Nogasado, Sado, saw value in the work of the descendants of the original T'poni refugees. Where their tentacle-faced masters with lineages back to the Sith species were more interested in sorceries, Sila's people excelled at science. When allowed to practice, they did, forming the industrial and medical infrastructures for several Lords. Some even resolved problems of lightsaber crystal fabrication and power generation that had eluded the Jedi of the Republic. Such feats were never heralded, no Sith Lord would share a new weapon. If failure was an orphan, success, for the Sith, was a secret love child. The child Sela had her own successes, serving on Relk with the rest of her family in the forces of Ludo Kresh, Sado's greatest rival. At 13, Sela was already a talented healer, drawing both on the force and the medical knowledge of her forebears. Devotion had already borne fruit. We are advancing in this movement, her father had said you have done well, and it has been rewarded. Glory in the honour, Sela, it is the greatest that can befall such as us. She had been charged with the care of Lord Cresher's feet. They were out all afternoon again, the two of them. Tilden had told her that, and Sela had other confidants who provided regular reports. Korsin and the Keshiri woman would stroll the pathways painstakingly carved out of the once treacherous mountainside, discussing, what? Not a blasted lot, as far as she could tell. Their walks dated from the beginning of Siloa's own relationship with Korsin. Back then, there had been a need. The Val woman had discovered the Sith on the mountain and had acted as intermediary with the Keshiri. But as years progressed and the need for a single ambassador ebbed, the walks continued, ranging ever farther away. After the birth of Sila and Corsin's daughter, Nida, the walks had become daily, including the occasional UVAC flight. Sila knew enough from her sources not to suspect infidelity, as if she would care, but the native woman had taken steps to improve her plain appearance. She'd recently begun turning up in Vorshandi face markings, a decoration unheard of for a Kishiri widow of a UVAC rider but eavesdroppers confirmed that the generally mindless substance of their discussions hadn't changed. Where does the sun go at night, Corsin? Is air part of the force, Corsin? Why are rocks not food, Corsin? If she was a spy, she was pretty useless at it, but she did have command of a huge chunk of the Grand Lord's time. And more.
3: She's really something, isn't she?
0: He had asked in an unguarded moment after Adari flew back to Tav one evening. I think your standards for playthings have plummeted, Sela had responded.
3: Along with my ship.
0: And my real husband, she had not said. Sila thought back on that moment now as she stood outside the ward. Fifteen years with her beloved husband's hated brother. Fifteen years with the man who had probably orphaned her son. Let the old purple wraith have him she thought. The less seen of Yaru Korsin, the better. Korsin's seduction of Sela had not taken long at all, once she'd convinced him he'd be met with something other than a dagger. It was an acceptable arrangement on both sides. By winning her approval, the commander had solidified his bonds with the rest of miners his ship was carrying, and stripped away something that had belonged to his hated sibling. She even let him think it was his idea, she bit her lip to ribbons that first year. For her part, Sila won power and influence in the New Order, benefits going far beyond convenient morning ablutions. Little Jariad would be raised in the best lodgings wherever they were, first in the walled native city of Tav, later in the mountain compound. And she had a job. Administration of the Sith sick wards seemed like a worthless sinecure given the rude health of the pampered people. Certainly no one else wanted the assignment, not with a world to conquer and an interstellar escape to engineer. Most Sith injured in disagreements never reached a healer, anyway. But Sela got to know more about the Sith who were stranded on Kesh than anyone, including the Omen officer originally responsible for keeping the ranks. She knew who was born and when and to whom, and that was the balance of power. The others weren't even looking. Their eyes were still on the sky, on getting out. Only Korsin seemed to understand that they might be settling into a permanent situation, though he clearly worked to prevent anyone but Sela from sensing it. She didn't understand why he had been open with her about it. Perhaps the wife of Yaru Korsin didn't merit hope. No matter. She didn't need it, anyway. She saw the future, here in the assembly yard behind the ward, as she walked through on her periodic reviews. Here, the youth of the Sith
4: reported to see her. Or rather, to be seen. This is Ebya Dell, daughter of the minor Nafjan and the bridge cadet Konica. Seela's willowy aide, Olenda, stood behind a stern-faced pink child and read from a parchment. Eight years old next month by our counting. No ailments. Sila's hand closed in A V around the young
0: girl's chin. Seela looked left and right, inspecting the childlike livestock. High cheekbones, she said, mashing her index finger against the youngling's face. The child didn't flinch. I know your parents, girl. Are you a source of despair to them? No, Lady Sela. This is good. And what is your duty? To be like you, the lady. Not the answer I had in mind, but I won't argue," Sela said, releasing the child and turning to Orlenda, her aide. I don't see any flaring of the skull, but I'm concerned about her coloring," she said. Too florid. Check the genealogy again. She might yet have a family, if we choose properly. With a pat on the rear from Orlenda, eight-year-old Ebbya returned to play in the outer yard. Momentarily safe in the knowledge that her life might not be a genetic dead end. It was an important matter, Sila thought as she watched the younglings duel with wooden staffs. Every child there had been born since the crash landing. Apart from the infusion of youth to the Sith population, it appeared that very little had changed. Every color from humanity's spectrum had been represented in the original Omen crew, and that continued to be the case. None of the casual pairings with Kishiri had produced any offspring whatsoever, Sela thanked the dark side for that, and, of course, there was the problem with Ravelin's people. The number of relatively pure-blooded humans had been steadily increasing. So had the purity of that blood. She had seen to that, with Corsin's full approval. It was sensible. Kesh had killed the Masasi. If it had not killed humans yet, Then the Sith needed more humans.
3: Adapt or die,
4: Korsin had said. There were several more younglings on the list for this week, Orlenda said. Did you want to see them today, Sila? I'm not in the mood.
0: Is there anything else? Orlenda rolled up her parchment and shooed the remaining
4: children to the exercise yard. Well, we'll need a new Kishiri bearer for the wardroom. What happened to the last one, Orlenda? Seela
0: smirked. Did you finally kill him with your kindnesses? No. He's dead. The big one? Gosum.
4: Goram. Orlenda said with a sigh. Yes, he died last week. We'd loaned him to Ravelin's team breaking down one of the decks of Omen, looking for whatever it is they look for to use. Gorham was, well, you remember, so strong. Get to it. I guess he'd been moving heavy plates, and it's hot up there under that roof. He keeled over right outside the ship. Orlenda clicked her tongue.
0: Hem, she'd thought the keshiri were made of stronger stuff. Still, it was a good chance to rip her lusty friend. I imagine you wept at the funeral
4: pyre. No, they tossed him over the cliff. Orlenda said, straightening her flaxen hair. It was that day with the high winds.
0: Just before dusk, Sela found Corson again on the plaza. The Kashiri woman was gone, and Corson was looking at himself, or, rather, at a pretty bad replica. Crafters from Tav had just delivered a four-meter-tall not very likeness of their saviour, sculpted from an enormous slab of glass.
3: It's her first pass.
0: Clearly. Sela thought it would befoul the killing fields of Ash's Ree. But her Kashiri aide thought it was marvelous. At a minimum.
1: It's positively stupendous, milady.
0: Tilden said.
1: Something truly worthy of the Skyborn, I mean, the Protectors.
0: He corrected himself quickly in the presence of the Grand Lord, but still seemed to swallow hard at the new word, so recently added to the religion of his birth. Ravelin's cousin, the cyborg Hestus, had worked for years with other linguists from the Omen to plumb the oral histories of the Keshiri. They'd sought any hint that anyone had ever happened by, anyone who might return to Kesh again, to provide them escape. They hadn't found much. The Neshtavar, the Uvak riders who until recently had ruled the planet, had laired their religion of the Skyborn and the opposing other side over earlier tales of protectors and destructors. The destructors periodically returned to rain disaster upon Kesh, the protectors were destined to stop them, once and for all. Korsin, now at the focus of the Keshiri faith, had claimed a moment of revelation and decreed a return to the old names. That, like much else over the years, had been Sila's idea. The Neshtavar had considered themselves the sons of the Skyborn. But no living Keshiri could claim kinship to the distant protectors. Whatever status any native previously enjoyed was gone. And now, Sela saw, the Kashiri were showing their respect with bug-eyed slabs of glass. They'd better learn to get our faces right before they... Respect, me, Sela thought. It's not that it looks bad, she said, once Tilden had stepped away. It's that it doesn't look right here.
3: Thinking again of moving us from the mountain?
0: Corsin smiled, wind-cracked wrinkles darkening in the shadows.
3: I think we wore out the Kishiri's patience when we stayed in Tarv the first time.
0: And what difference does that make? None. He grabbed her hand, surprising her.
3: Listen, I want to tell you how much I appreciate the work you've been doing at the ward. It's everything I hoped, everything I knew you were capable of.
0: Oh, I don't think you know what I'm capable of. Corsin looked away and laughed.
3: <laughs> well, let's not pursue that. Would dinner interest you instead?
0: Before she could answer, a shout came from above. Yo! Corsin and Sela looked to the watchtower. No attacker threatened, the Sith had purged the range of predators years before. Instead, sentries simply sat in meditation, listening to the force for messages from Sith traveling in the far-flung reaches of the land.
1: It's Ravelin
0: called down a young red-faced sentry, only a child when Omen crashed.
1: Something has happened in Tetsubal. Something bad.
0: Corsin looked up in aggravation. He could feel something in the force, too, something chaotic, but he had no idea what. This was exactly why they shouldn't have pirated their personal communicators in an earlier escape scheme. Seela looked up at the tower and mouthed, is, is Ravelin dying? No the herald said, barely catching her words. Everyone else is. Chapter 3 The Sith were about glorification of self and the subjugation of others. That much made sense, as the young sealer saw life in Ludo Kresha's palace. What did not make sense was why so many of her people, in her own family, embraced the Sith teachings when they had no hope of advancement. Why would a Sith live as a slave? It wasn't that way for everyone. In the grand scheme, the Sith Empire had been at rest for many years, but an empire of Sith is an empire of small schemes. From Kresher's command, newly adult Sela had watched her master rage at the ventures of Noggasado. Sado. She had seen Sado at several meetings in Kresha's company, almost all of them ending in fury. The two leaders differed on everything, long before the discovery of a space lane into the heart of the Republic set them at odds over the future direction of the Sith Empire. Sado was a visionary. He knew permanent isolation was a practical impossibility in an empire comprising so many systems and so many potential hyperspace routes, the Stygian caldera was a veil, not a wall, and he could see opportunity through it. And in Sado's entourage, Sela had seen many humans and members of other species with apparent status. She even met Corsin's captain father once. For Sado, contact with the new was a thing to be desired, and outsiders could be as Sith as any born in the Empire. For Kresh, who spent his days in battle and his nights toiling on a magical device to protect his young son from all harm, there could not be a worse fate than escape from the Sith's cosmic cradle. Do you know why I do this? Kresh had asked one night. His drunken rage had touched the entire household, Seela included. I have seen the holocrons, I know what waits beyond. My son looks like me, and so does the future of the Sith. But only as long as we're here. Out there, he'd spat, between bloody punches, out there, the future looks like you. Adari Val had once told Korsin that the Kashiri did not have a number large enough to describe their own population. The Omen crew had tried to make estimates in their initial years on Kesh, only to find ever more villages over the horizon. Tetsubal, at 18,000 Keshiri residents, had been one of the last cities counted before the Sith finally gave up. Now they had given up again. The walls of Tetsubal were filled with corpses, making a body count impossible. As they arrived on Uvac back that night, Sela, Korsin, and their companions could see them all from the sky, littering the dirt roads like branches after a storm. Some had collapsed within the doorways of their hijaboshoot huts. It was the same inside, they soon saw. What they didn't see were survivors. If any existed, they were hiding well. Eighteen thousand bodies was a good guess. Whatever happened had happened suddenly. A nursing woman had fallen, locked together with her infant in a fatal embrace. Troughs laced through the streets, fed from the aqueduct, several kashiri had fallen in and drowned right beside their floating wooden pails. Alive and alone here stood Ravelin, rattled and clinging inside the still-locked city gate. He had held his position in Tetsubal throughout the evening, looking much the worse for it. Corson approached him as soon as he dismounted.
2: It started after I met with my contacts here.
0: Ravelin said. People
2: started collapsing in restaurants, in the markets. Then the panic began.
3: And where were you during all this?
0: Ravelin pointed to the town circle, a plaza with a large sundial much like the one in Tav. It was the tallest structure in the city, apart from the UVAC-driven pulley system that fed the aqueduct.
2: I couldn't find the aid i brought with me. I leapt up there to call for her, and to survey what was going on.
0: Surveying, Sela snarled. Really? Ravelin exhaled angrily.
2: Yes, I was trying to get clear. Who knows what plague these people might be carrying. I was up there for hours, watching people drop. I called for my uvac,
3: but it was dead, too. Tether hours outside the walls.
0: Corsin ordered. He looked flustered in the torchlight. He pulled a cloth from his tunic and placed it over his mouth, not seeming to realize he was the last in the party to do so. He looked at Sela.
3: Biological agent?
0: I, I can't say, she said. Her work had been with the Sith, never the Kashiri. Who knew what they might be susceptible to? Corsin tugged at Gloyd.
3: My daughter's in Tav. Make sure she gets back to the mountain. Go.
0: The halk, uncharacteristically shaken, bolted for his mount. It could be airborne, Sela said, walking dazed through the corpses. That would explain how it had hit so many, so quickly. But we haven't been affected. <coughs> A cry came from up ahead. There, Sela saw what their scout had found beneath another body. Ravelin's missing assistant. The woman was in her forties, like Sela. Human, and dead. Sela clutched the gauze over her face. Fool, fool, I'm a fool. Is it already too late?
2: It's late enough.
0: Ravelin said, catching her unguarded thought. He confronted Corsin.
2: You know what you have to do.
0: Corsin spoke in a monotone.
2: We'll burn the city. Of course, we'll burn it. It's not enough, Commander. We have to shut them out.
0: Shut who out? Sila snapped. The Keshiri. Ravelin gestured to the bodies around them.
2: There is something killing them, and it can kill us. We've got to remove them from our lives once and for all.
0: Corsin looked completely taken aback. Seela grabbed his shoulder. Don't listen to this. How will we live without them? Like Sith. Ravelin exclaimed.
2: This is not our way, Sela. You have, we have become too dependent upon these creatures. They are not Sith.
0: Neither are we, by your people's lights.
2: Don't get political. Look around, Sela. Whatever this is should have killed us by now. If it hasn't, we should take it for what it is. This is a warning from the dark side.
0: Behind the cloth, Sila's jaw dropped. Corsin snapped back to reality. Wait. He said, taking Ravelin's arm.
3: Let's talk about this.
0: Corsin and Ravelin began walking toward the gate, which even now was being opened by their attendants. The village itself seemed to exhale, wretched air passing through the opening. Sila didn't move, spellbound by the bodies around her. The dead Kashiri looked all the same to her, purple faces and blue tongues, faces twisted in choking agony. Her footing faltered, and she saw Ravelin's assistant. What was her name? Yelana? Ileana? Sela had known the woman's whole family tree the day before. Why couldn't she remember her name now, when the woman was on the ground, choked on her tongue, bloated and blue, Sela stopped. She knelt beside the corpse, careful not to touch it. She drew her shikha, the glass blade the kashiri had fashioned for her, and carefully worked open the woman's mouth. There it was, the tongue a mad azure, blood vessels engorged and bursting. She'd seen it before in humans, at the edge of her memory. I need to go back, Sela said, erupting from the village gates. I need to go back home, to the ward. Corsin, directing his henchmen building a bonfire, looked puzzled.
3: Seela, forget about any survivors. We're the survivors. We hope.
0: Ravelin, lucklessly trying to calm the collected uvac Corsin had tethered outside the village wall, looked back in alarm.
2: If you think of bringing this disease into our sanctum.
0: No, she said. I'm going alone. If we here are infected, nothing matters anyway. She took the bridle of a nuvac from Ravelin and flashed him an unenthusiastic smile. But if we're not infected, it's like you said. It's a warning. Corson watched her leave and turned to the task of burning the village. Sela didn't look back, soaring into the night. There wasn't much time. She'd need to meet with her entire staff at the ward, her most loyal aides. And she'd need to see her son. When dawn broke over the Tokora Mountains, Sila was not found in the shower by Tilden Carr, as much as she now felt like she needed one. Sila hadn't slept at all. With Corsin and Ravelin's return in the dead of night, the retreat had become a crisis center. Communications were the real problem. The deaths of nameless Keshiri had stirred the force little for those who didn't care about them anyway. But the aftermath had stirred such confusion in the minds of the Sith that even the most experienced heralds were having trouble fielding messages. Korsin had been careful in calling for the return of his people from the Kashiri towns and villages, so far, Tav and the rest of the major cities had not heard of the disaster in Tetsubal, and he didn't want a mass withdrawal putting the natives on their guard. Sith abroad were instructed to casually remove themselves from public contact and make their way home. What had befallen Tetsubal had not yet struck the major cities, but reconnaissance flyers were still out, checking on the surrounding areas. By the time word came in from the hinterlands, all of the Sith would be safely in their redoubt. Sela saw Corsin several times in the morning as she passed through. He wanted her staff to set up quarantines for Reentry to the compound. None of the Sith who had torched Tetsubal were showing any symptoms of distress, but the stakes were high. Sila had assignments of her own in the ward, and in fact few of her medical staffers appeared in public. We're working on the problem, she had told him. Reentering at noon, Sila saw Ravelin standing with Corsin, monitoring reports. Corsin seemed haggard from lack of sleep, his little purple fluff wouldn't be coming for lunch today. But Ravelin, despite his harrowing experiences of the day before, seemed rejuvenated, His bald head was a robust magenta.
2: It goes better than we feared, Corsin.
0: Ravilan said. No Grand Lord now, Seela noticed. Not even Commander. Corsin grunted.
2: All your people are back. I am informed they have all just arrived back at the stables. Not much of a vacation.
0: Ravilan said, his facial tendrils curling slightly.
2: But then there is much work to be done on our new priorities.
0: Sela looked up. It should be about now. Rider coming. The herald sensed the Uvax approach long before it appeared on the southern horizon. Waved directly onto the colonnade, the rider set the beast down and leapt to the stone surface. All eyes were on the new arrival. All save Sela as
1: Grand Lord.
0: He said, short of breath.
1: It has happened again in Rabelow.
0: <gasps> Sela heard Corsin's gasp, but she saw Ravelin's yellow eyes bulge. It took but a second for the quartermaster to find his composure. Rabalo? That's on the Ragnos Lakes, isn't it? Sela looked toward Ravelin and smiled primly. That's where your people were assigned to go yesterday, wasn't it, Ravelin? Villages on the Ragnos Lakes. He nodded. They'd all been there when it was being discussed. Ravelin cleared his throat, suddenly dry.
2: I, I should speak then with my associate who just returned from there.
0: He hobbled past Seela, turned, and bowed.
2: I, I really should meet them. Commander.
0: You do that, Seela said. Corsin said nothing, still flabbergasted by the recent news and the coincidence. He watched Ravelin disappear from sight, heading for the stables. Rider coming. Corsin looked up. Cela thought he almost looked afraid, afraid of the news the rider would bring. The news was of another city of death, on another of the Ragnos' lakes. A third rider told of a third, and a fourth. 100,000 Keshiri dead. Corsin goggled. Something
3: to do with the lakes? That, what was it, algae of ravelins?
0: Sela crossed her arms and looked directly at Corsin, stooped over and nearly her same height. She was tempted to let the moment linger, but there was work to be done. She called for Tilden Carr. Her worried assistant appeared from the direction of the ward, holding a small container. She took it and dismissed him. Do you know what this is, Corsin? Corsin turned the empty vial over in his hand.
3: Cyanogen silicate?
0: It was from her medical stores on Omen, and also from the stores Ravelin kept for the creatures in his care. In its solid form, she explained, it was used as a cauterizing agent by healers working with the Masasi. She had seen it used again and again in Ludo-Cresher's service. Nothing weaker could do anything to those savages' hides. It's bad enough on its own, she said. But if moisture gets into it, it breaks down and intensifies a thousandfold. One particle per billion could do anything. Corsin’s bushy eyebrows flared.
3: What? What could it do in a water table? Or an aqueduct?
0: Sela held his hands firmly and looked directly into his eyes. Tetsubal. She explained the story behind the death of her wards bearer. Beefy Goram had been seconded to Ravelin's team to help reach what remained in crushed sections of Omen. He'd apparently touched a stained deck plate from the Masasi apothecary and died outside, not long after washing his hands. Death was not instantaneous, but the victim never got far. Ravelin must have seen Goram's death, she said, and realized he had a tool against the Kishiri. A weapon that could force Corsin and the rest of the humans to forget about building on this world, and recommit to leaving it. And now every city that members of the 57 had visited in the previous day had gone the same way as Tetsubal. Corsin spun and shattered his bridge chair against a marble column. He didn't use the force. He didn't need to.
3: Why would they do this?
0: He grabbed Sela.
3: Why would they do this, when it's so obvious I'd trace it back to them? How stupid, how desperate would they have to be?
0: Yes, Sela said, curling around him. How desperate would they have to be? Corsin looked into the sun, now beating down on the mountain. Releasing her, he looked into the faces of his other advisors, all waiting and wondering.
3: Bring all the others in, he said. Tell them it's time.
0: Chapter 4 Sela had already set her mind on leaving Ludo Kresh before he executed her family. It was trivial, his ankle had been injured in a battle, and she had failed to stop the infection. He'd killed her father the first night, and his leverage lessened considerably after that. Sela found her chance to go a few days later, when one of Sado's mining teams stopped on Ralg to refuel. She didn't have anybody left by then, anyway. Devore Corsin had been her escape. She saw his immaturity and recklessness, but she also saw something there to work with. He, too, strained against the invisible chains limiting his ambition. He could be her ally. And in Sado's service, at least, something could happen, as long as Devor didn't foul it up. And if he did, well, there was always their son. Lightsabers flashed in the night on the mountain, but not on the main plaza. Seela walked calmly along the darkened colonnade, now festooned with added decorations, the tentacled heads of the 57, staked at even intervals. There was the young sentry from the tower, trapped and killed. He'd never abandoned his post. To the right was Hestus, the translator, Sela had been involved personally in his takedown. Corsin said they'd come back to Hestus in the morning to remove the cybernetic implants. Who knew, there might be something they could use there. She could sense Corsin and his chief lieutenants beyond the outer wall now, driving the remnant to a last stand beside the precipice where Omen nearly met its end. No quarter would be offered, she could see Corsin hurling any who surrendered over the side. Well, he has experience with that. The stone silo of the stable master loomed before her. Yuvak enclosures stretched out in all directions from this central hub, where Kashiri aides would wash the stinking beasts. The Kashiri were gone tonight, she saw as she entered the round room. At the center, watched only by a guard in the shadows, hung the limp but breathing body of Ravelin. Strong cords of Kashiri woven fiber lashed his splayed arms to cornices high on either side of the structure. The arrangement was designed to keep Uvac from bolting during their baths. Now it was doing the same for Ravelin, his feet dangling mere centimeters above the ground. Sela stepped back as a rush of water poured from slots high in the tower, gagging the prisoner. The flow stopped after a minute, but it was longer before the weary Ravelin registered the presence of his visitor. All gone. (coughs) Right? All gone, she said, stepping into his sight. You are the last. Ravelin had been caught early, his bad leg failing him once and for all. Ravelin shook his head.
2: We only did it one time.
0: He said, his throat a gravelly trail.
2: Intexable. These other cities, I don't know. We never planned.
0: For me, Sela said. It had been surprisingly easy, once she'd realized Ravalan's ploy in Tetsubal. The only element was time. She'd returned to the mountain retreat in the night and summoned her most trusted aides from the ward. Soon after midnight, her minions were in the air, propelling their creatures toward the lake towns of the south that Ravalan's people had been instructed to visit the day before. Her ward had held the only other surviving supply of cyanogen silicate. Now it was in the wells and aqueducts of the lake cities, and in the bodies of dead Kashiri. Time was the key element, but she'd had help coordinating it all.
2: You, you did this?
0: Ravelin coughed and managed a weak chuckle.
2: I guess that's the first time you liked one of my ideas.
0: It did the job. Ravelin's crumpled grin vanished.
2: What job? Genocide?
0: You care about the Kashiri now?
2: You know what I mean.
0: Ravilan strained at his bonds.
2: My people.
0: Sela rolled her eyes. Nothing's going on here that wouldn't have happened in the empire eventually. You know how things were going. Whose movement were you in, anyway?
2: Naga Sado didn't want this.
0: Ravilan rasped.
2: Sado valued power where he saw it. He valued the old and the new. He valued us.
0: She nodded to the guard, and another crushing barrage of water slammed Ravelin. It took longer for him to recover this time.
2: It could have worked. <coughs> we could have worked, together, like the Sith and the fallen Jedi of old. If only our children, my children, had lived.
0: Ravelin looked up, water streaming from his sagging face. You. Sela fixed her silent gaze on the chutes, still dripping near the ceiling high above. You. He repeated, louder.
2: You ran the crash. You and your people.
0: His face twisted into an agonized scream. The future of his people had already been smothered, long before.
2: What did you do? What did you do to us?
0: Nothing you wouldn't eventually have done to us. She stepped toward the shadows, near the guard. We are not your Sith. We are something new, a chance to do it right. A new tribe.
2: Younglings, infants.
0: Wilted, Ravelin moaned.
2: What, what kind of mother are you?
0: The mother of a people, she said, looking toward the guard in the shadows. Now, my son. The guard stepped forward, and Ravelin saw the animal form of Jariad coursing coming at him, blade drawn, the wild-eyed face of his father under jet-black hair. The teenager leapt at the prisoner, wielding a jagged vibroblade without remorse. At the last, he drew his lightsaber and cut Ravalin down in a violent flash of crimson. You've changed the world today, Sela said, stepping close to her son and confederate. He'd been key to coordinating the previous night's gambit, getting her accomplices where they needed to go. It was right that he should have part of this moment. The boy panted, looking down at his victim.
1: He's not who I want to kill.
0: Be patient, Sila said, stroking his hair. I have been.
1: Tilden Ka walked quietly along the darkened pathways of Tarv, only recently paved with stones. The Sith had dismissed the other Kashiri attendants earlier in the morning when the excitement began, he had been one of the last to leave. The streets, usually peopled with mirror even at this hour, were alarmingly still. He only saw one middle-aged member of the Neshtavar standing station at a crossing, stripped of his uvac years before, the figure looked bored. Tilden nodded to the watchman and passed into a plaza near one of the many village aqueducts. Sheets of fresh mountain water tumbled in long crescents from flumes, a cooling presence in what had become a hot night. Arriving before a wall of water, Tilden donned the robe he was carrying, raised the hood, and stepped into the downpour. Or, rather, through it. Tilden walked, dripping, down the dark passage leading deep into the stone structure. He followed hushed voices to the end of a passage. There was no light, but there was life. Tilden heard agonized chatter as he approached, the horrible news from the south had begun to arrive. The superstitious Kashiri would probably be expected to absorb the horror quietly, a voice said from the shadows. The destructors would probably be blamed. It is done, Tilden spoke to the darkness. Seela has rid the skyborn of the 57. Of the people not like them, only the bumpy man, Gloyd, remains.
0: Seela doesn't
4: suspect you.
1: Returned a husky female voice from the blackness.
4: She doesn't read your mind.
1: She doesn't think I'm worth it. And I speak of nothing but the old legends. She thinks me a fool. She can't tell our great scholars from our fools. Said a male voice. None of them can. Said another. Good. Let's keep it that way. Sela has done us a favor, reducing their numbers. She may do more. A blinding flash appeared as an old Keshiri man lit a lantern. There were several Kashiri there, huddled in the cramped space, their attentions not on Tilden. But on the figure stepping from the shadows behind him, Tilden turned to recognize the woman who had first addressed him.
4: Stay strong, Tilden Carr. With your help and with the help of all of us here, the Kashiri will finish the job.
1: Anger glistened in Adari Val's eyes.
4: I brought this plague upon us. And I will end it.